And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh my goodness. What? Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> <laughs> JB, you start Let's... sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. Uh, okay. I hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I like where you're going with yep. this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. <laughs> and now... The one, the only... Yes, hello, and welcome to my ass. It is Adam Sank. Today is Saturday, September 22nd, 2018. You are listening to a brand new live episode of The Adam Sank Show, the podcast award-nominated Adam Sank Show. Uh, that is if you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on adamsank.com slash podcast. So if you're one of our live listeners, give us a call at 844 844- 825-5367. I just had to do that from memory because I couldn't find it on my sheet. Uh, leave us your ratings and reviews on iTunes or wherever else you listen to this bullshit. Email me, my co-host Ryan Frostig, or our lovely associate producer JB by just using our first name, at adamsank.com. And remember that JB is spelled J-A-Y-B-E-E because he likes to be difficult. Like our Facebook page and whatever else you do, guys, please register to vote. Election day is Tuesday, November 6th. All you have to do is go to vote.org to find out how to register in your state. Time is running out. A lot of states have uh, already had deadlines uh, to register and we must, must, must vote and flip the House and Senate. Uh, with me, as always, is the Ernie to my Bert, Ryan Frostig. Hello, Ryan. Good morning. And our own resident Snuffleupagus, JB. Hey. Hey, JB. Hey, hi. Hi. There she is. Can you hi. turn yourself up a little? I'm worried about that. Um, how are you guys on this beautiful, beautiful September day? You it's know, bright. Living, loving, learning. I heard a little birdie told me, Ryan, that you got dicked down real good last night. Real good. And that your yes. ass became a rosebud. Yes, mama, it did. Who is <laughs> this anonymous top? Um, a local daddy friend. Hmm. He, um, it was an evolved dick. It was, uh. Evolved? Wise. It was. <laughs> it had a lot of mileage. Yes. It had a lot of rings around it. Yes. Like an did. old oak tree. It had a, a really nice conversation with my whole. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. If if Ryan uh, is stuttering today, you'll have to forgive him. He got the speech literally fucked out of him last yeah, night. Yeah, um, I live. I live for it. Live, love, live. Well, we, uh, we're going to move fast. We have such a packed show today. In fact, as much as I love taking calls, I'm kind of hoping nobody does call because we have so much to do. Um, first of all, we're going to be talking to Matt Tiernauer, who, in addition to being a, an esteemed journalist who's written for Vanity Fair and GQ, he is a, a fabulous documentary film director and his newest documentary is called scotty and the secret history of hollywood you guys i saw this movie it is amazing yes. i don't want to tell you too much about it i want to save it for the interview but it will gag you uh and secondly uh, we have another live guest today and that this is huge is harpy daniels a drag queen who is currently serving in the u.s navy is this an exclusive I believe it is an exclusive. I don't think Harpy's done any other interviews yet uh, as far as radio or television. I know that right. she's done a lot of print. But Har uh, Harpy, I almost called her Harvey. <laughs> Harpy not only serves Luke's, but she serves her country. <laughs> Ryan reaches for the bell. So we'll be talking to her very shortly. But first, the biggest news of the week, I think uh, uh, neither of you would argue with me, is RuPaul's Drag Race... Yes. At the Emmys. And so for that, we turn to our RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent, the recently fucked Ryan Frosting. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this past Monday, RuPaul's Drag Race finally won the Emmy Award for Best Reality Competition Yes, show. Queen. 
finally um it beat out uh network favorites like the voice and the amazing race and one of our other favorite reality shows project runway um this is not the first time that uh the show itself has won emmy awards rupaul has won for best host for the past three years Um, including this year including this year um, and we have a clip from the acceptance speech. Thank you to the Academy. This is so lovely. We are so happy to present this show. I would like to thank, on behalf of the 140 drag queens we have released into the wild, I'd love to thank Dick Richards for introducing me to Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey, Tom Campbell, Tim Palazzola and uh, Pam Post and Stephen Koroff and Mandy Silang saying, Ferenc Mothers, uh, Joelle Hawks, and all of the dreamers out there. Listen, you, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Now let the music play! She really should have warmed, warmed up before yeah, trying to hit that ready. note. She was not ready for that. I thought her speech was kind of basic. I know you said that, and you know, I, I don't think it was, I mean, she wasn't like, you know, giving jokes and being all whatever. But I just expect more. I, I expect um, RuPaul to be really outrageous and of the moment and like transgressive, and that to me was a very standard Emmy Award speech. Yeah. But listen, congratulations. It's truly it's, amazing. It's, it is that This the best. little show, yeah. this very transgressive a cable TV show about drag queens has beaten shows like The Amazing Race, which I think The Amazing Race has won the Emmy like 20 times. Sure, It's crazy to me what a shift we've had. And of course, I also think of all the Trump voters, if they're even watching the Emmys, being like, what the fuck is this? Right. So not everyone is excited about of this, course. but we're excited. We about are this. thrilled. I mean, it really, in my opinion, is the best reality TV show of all time, just because it, it has so many layers. It's competition. There's drama. Um, it requires a certain level of skill and talent. And within the industry of drag, if you make it on the show, it's it's you know, it's a pretty pretty big deal. Well, I'm gr- it's great that it's getting recognized, yes. and we'll be asking Harpy Daniels about uh, what she thinks of RPDR in just a moment. Um, the other big story this week was about Bert and Ernie. Yes, the Sesame Street characters now. It, it all started when this guy who used to write for Sesame Street named Mark Saltzman said in an interview that he always viewed Bert and Ernie as a gay couple and, in fact, modeled them after himself and his boyfriend. Um, he used to write, specifically write sketches or whatever you would call them, Muppet sketches, for right. Bert and Ernie. And he said, um, I always felt that without a huge agenda when I was writing Bert and Ernie, they were gay. I didn't have any other way to contextualize them. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, reaction to this. And then Sesame Street came out with a statement in which they said, um, as we have always said, Bert and Ernie are best friends. They were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves. Even though they are identified as male characters and possess many traits, many human traits and characteristics, they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. Here's my take on this. I wonder, because, you know, now that Sesame Street is HBO and, you know, they recently, um, didn't they introduce a character who was autistic? Yes. Or, you know, they're trying. Abby Kadabi. Yeah. I feel like if Bert and Ernie weren't such, like, classic characters that have been around for decades and are a part of so many different generations, like, experiences as children, I wonder if it would be a different situation. Like if they introduce a gay couple now, I feel like it would be, I feel like because it's Bert and Ernie, they don't want uh, them to be gay just because it's like people who are older. I don't know. Might because be they've been around for so long. Yeah. I, here's my thing. I, I feel like Sesame street would be wiser just to play it cool and say like, say nothing. Listen, Bert and Ernie's sexuality is, uh, that that's for them to talk about if they if they choose to. Yeah, yeah. All we know is that they're best friends. To deny and leave it. it at that. But to deny it seems kind of hurtful, and to sort of deny that we exist. And like you just pointed out, if you can have an autistic character, why can't you have like Muppets don't have autism? Right. So why? So it, if you're going to give a Muppet autism, then you can also give them a sexual orientation. And to say that, um, and Bert and Ernie are human characters. They're right. not monsters. They're right. not like 
they're not. It's not like Oscar the Grouch or Big Bird. They're no. like supposed to be humans. Yeah. So, but they, they I, live like um, of all of those characters, the most like the most human, human life. life. Well, I'll tell you this. I went on YouTube and I found proof Ooh. that Bert and Ernie are in fact gay. Take oh, a listen God. to this. Well, that's why I'm wearing this blindfold. You see, I'm going to feel something with the skin on my hands, and then I'm going to guess what that is without even looking. Now, now, watch this. Um, um, let, me, let me see. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. There, there's something now. Gee, I wonder what this could be. Ernie. No, no, no. Don't tell me, Bert. Don't tell me. Uh, <sighs> this feels kind of soft and fluffy-like. And it's sticking straight up like a shaggy rug. No, Ernie, you're touching. No, 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 no. Don't, don't tell me, Bird. Don't tell me. I want to guess this. Now, now, now. Let's see. Moving down. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's more. There's so much more. Look at this. And this kind of feels roundish, and it's sort of, sort of squishy like. And it's like a bath sponge. Yes, yes. I don't believe this. And let's see. Uh, moving on down. Oh, wait, this is interesting. Look at this. And this part's kind of smooth, and it feels sort of thin, and... Wow, it's, it's floppy. It's floppy like a garden hose. <gasps> Gee, that's interesting. I mean, come on. I am... I feel dirty. That is clearly some gay shit happening between Truly, them. Truly, I'm blushing. That's it's an worse. actual. When you watch a video, because what he's doing it is censored. Like, Someone's like put up a censored video. box, yeah. so you can't see that he's like grabbing his hand. That's an yeah. actual clip from Sesame Street. Nobody doctored that, but without the context and the visuals, yeah. it is it really hilarious. Hilarious. Well, a lot of people were upset with Sesame Street this week for Naturally. for making their denial, and um, the 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 most shocking reaction I saw was from one of our favorite websites, Cocktails and Cock Talk. And now, time for another stupid story from Cocktails and Cocktalk.com. Yeah, suck my cock. Cocktails and Cock Talk had a very strong reaction to, to the whole Bert and Ernie thing. Um, they said, to most humans, we can recognize that Bert and Ernie are indeed puppets and therefore aren't actually tossing each other off behind Oscar the Grouch's trash can. Just like how, as puppets, they're not actually grabbing a couple of pints and watching the football game down at the pub. As puppets, they can be as much lovers as they can be friends. Not to mention that Miss Piggy and Kermit, who are both puppets, were quite clearly a couple. And Oscar had an obvious side bitch. Now, they don't <laughs> specify who Oscar's side it's bitch side is. Bitch. Um, it's quite clear that the producers of Sesame Street have the deludedly dreaded fear that children learning that gay couples exist will turn them gay, what would, which would explain why they have the limited intelligence to produce nothing more than a puppet TV show for four-year-olds. Well, that's not true. It's, it's a brilliant show. It really is. Um, and then here's where they go totally off the rails on Cocktails and Cock Talk. They go, let's get this clear. Sesame Street did not create these characters. Saltzman did. Saltzman has already said they were intended to be in a homosexual relationship, and so for Sesame Street to step forward and actively deny this demonstrates that they were probably keen not to offend the fellow homophobic parents of Middle America. Well, that's absolutely false. Mark Saltzman did not create Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie were created in 1969 as the pilot for Sesame Street. They were actually the first and only two Muppets really? in the pilot. And based on the pilot, they were... Uh, Children's Television Workshop was asked to develop this full show. Mark Saltzman came along in the 80s as a writer for Sesame Street. And wrote... And their, wrote scripts for them yeah. the way, you know, people join the cast of Saturday Night Live and, and write scripts, but they didn't create Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. So th they this is why we call it, it a st stupid story yeah. from Cocktails and Cocktails. But they're not wrong they're not in wrong. their main point. Yeah, it, it, it's bizarre coming from a network like HBO. I mean, I know it's a, it's a children's show, but it, it, it feels like they should be pushing Sesame Street to be as progressive as possible, and it just seems like in 2018, like, why wouldn't there be a Absolutely. But, you know, it, here's my thing. I think because it's publicly funded, it's public television, they're so terrified of having all of their funding cut even further than it already has been. And with Donald Trump as president and the Republicans in, in the uh, controlling the Congress, they don't want to take any chances. Yeah. They want to stay as neutral as possible. Um, JB has stepped out of the room to, I think, try to hook yeah. our guest up via satellite telephone. Yes. So I want to move on to this story. La uh, 
two weeks ago, we talked about, it was either two weeks ago or last week, we talked about a, um, a homophobic lyric that Eminem rapped about Tyler the Creator. Right. He called him like a faggot bitch or something. Anyway, uh, he has now apologized, sort of. He says, um, with the Tyler the Creator thing, I realize now that I was angry when I said the shit about Tyler. He told this to Sway, uh, which I guess is a magazine. The rapper was responding to a tweet Tyler wrote back in 2017 describing Eminem's song Walk on Water as horrible. Uh-oh. Really? Oh, dear. Well, Our I guest is not picking up. Which well, one? Let me see if... Uh, here, hold on. Ryan, can you just message her and tell her we're trying to call and she's not picking up? Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm so glad this is a live show. This is why it's hard to do phoners with people who are on aircraft carriers off the coast of Japan. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Anyway, um, what am I Eminem continues. <laughs> listen to JB. Eminem says, the word that I called him on the song was one of the things that I felt like this might be too far. Because in my quest to hurt him, I realized that I was hurting a lot of other people by saying it. It was one of the things that I kept going back to going, I don't feel right about this. Now I realize people can hear what I'm saying anyways. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I was angry. Well, fuck you, Eminem. It really doesn't matter whether or not you were angry. You know that the word faggot is hurtful and hateful and inspires violence against LGBTQ people. And, uh, and if you're really sorry about it, then, then either change the lyric or cut, kill the song entirely. Don't, don't release it anymore. Um, any kind of update about Harpy? I just sent the text. Okay. Moving on to another hip-hop story, sort of. The headline of this caught my eye. So-called. Well, the, the, headline, <laughs> the headline caught my eye because it's real sexy. The headline was, Rapper says midlife crisis caused him to make amateur gay X-rated film. Ooh. So you mean he directed one? No, he made he, one. He started it. He started it. it. He's the star, honey. Yes, who is it? And I thought, well, that sounds fucking hot. Yes. <laughs> but then you find out, that the rapper, whose name is so-called, his real name is Joshua Dolgan, is actually a white, Jewish, Canadian rapper and record producer known for his eclectic mix of hip-hop, klezmer, and other styles such as drum and bass folk music. I don't know her. <laughs> well, there's two things we know, okay? We know that he was probably really nice about it, because he's Canadian, <laughs> and we know that the dick was cut. And probably not that big. Maybe. But here's the thing. I looked him up because I still was hoping. Like, I was like, well, that's not very sexy. I don't think of klezmer and folk. Is he sexy? He ain't sexy. Goddamn. He's real basic. Goddamn. So, but, but here's, the, the, um, here's the really uh, awesome part of the story. He apparently made the film in his parents' house without their permission. <laughs> Wait, like, what? on his he 40th birthday. What? He, he wrote a script, a porn script, while his parents were away one weekend and used their house without telling them. Um, here's a description of the film, according to Vice magazine. Uh, it's called The House Sitter. The House Sitter features a dream sequence in which Wilson and Braun, I don't know who that is, meet up in the show wearing outrageous masks. The dream sequence notably features snowshoes, so it is, a true, it is true Canadiana, a cross between an M NFB documentary and a David Lynch movie. I wanted this to be different, says Dolgan. I wanted to make an indie porn in the spirit of Toby Ross. I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> he adds, I don't think of this as a midlife crisis movie. I see it as a midlife celebration. I love sex, and I love great photography and film. So this is a combination of the two. Oh, my goodness. The red light is flashing. Could this be? Could this be our guest? Let's pray. Well, it's screen first, so we'll find out. All right. Maybe it is. I'm going to cross my fingers because I don't want to run out of time. I'm for crossing my testicles. Cross those titties and those testes and everyone else hold on to their hats. A new drag queen is taking the world by storm. Her name is Harpy Daniels. And in addition to serving fierce looks on her Instagram and entertaining crowds, Harpy is a true queer pioneer. Because when Harpy takes off the drag, his name is Joshua Kelly and he is a yeoman third class in the United States Navy serving aboard the USS Ronald Reagan. Yes, mama. Yes. The Navy has its own drag superstar and we are here for her. So, 
Any moment now. <laughs> Joining us live from somewhere off the coast of Japan, please welcome to the ass, Harpy Daniels. Hi. Harpy. Hi. Hi. She's here. How are you, honey? I'm doing wonderful. I have arrived. I'm a little tired. It's a little late over here, but yes. I, I'm living. <laughs> tell, us, living. tell us where you are, if you can. Uh, I'm on the I'm on the south side of Japan, um, basically uh, about ten hours from Tokyo. And you're aboard the USS Ronald Reagan, are you not? Uh, that's where I, I do embark on the USS Ronald Reagan, but that's not my current uh, command. Are you on land right now? I am. Yes, oh. uh, I have my land legs out today. <laughs> are you in a Luke? Are you serving any Lukes today? Any what? Any looks? Are are you uh, are you in drag you in at the drag, moment? Or are you out of drag? Today, oh, uh, tonight? No, unfortunately, it's kind of dead tonight. I did that last night. <laughs> ah, I see. Fabulous, Harpy. Let's start at the beginning. What made you join the Navy in the first place? Uh, well, Navy has always been my background. Uh, I grew up with it with my father uh, as a retired senior chief of twenty four years. So the Navy was always something I grew up with. The reason why I joined. It uh, was actually because um, I woke up one day and wanted to challenge myself. I knew I could do more, and I was tired of working as a data analyst at health insurance and doing the same thing. And then drag itself is so costly to be – and when I mean costly, it's not just, you know, the wigs, the nails, the makeup, everything. You know, it's the traveling. It's the money you put into it to be bigger, better, and go everywhere else. And for being a small-town boy – at the age of 21, 22, I couldn't do it on top of my school loans. So I said, why not join the Navy and get my sea legs going? So you were already doing drag before you joined the service? Yes, I, I started drag back in 2013. I started, uh, my first performance was at Bloomsburg University. And were you always Harpy Daniels or did you have a different name? No, always from the beginning of time with Harvey Daniels. I created the name uh, one day when I was sitting there. I was actually started drag when I was 16, hmm. but I didn't start performing until I was 19. So I kind of got an advantage when I was 19. I learned how to walk in heels, dance, you name it. The only thing I think I was definitely know I needed work on was my makeup, which came in time. Sure. It sure did. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you joined the Navy so that you could continue to do drag, Yes. Absolutely, yes. And did you know in instinctively that it would be so well-received by your fellow seamen? Honestly, no, uh, because uh, I had first the biggest thing of being a sailor is I needed to make a foundation for myself as a sailor alone. So I knew I would have had to put drag on the back burner from the start. My biggest fear was to get dragged back out and be able to do it again. And honestly, I, God answered my prayers. I counted my blessings, and it happened. So tell us about the very first time you performed in drag uh, after joining the Navy. Uh, the first time uh, was actually in 2016. It, wasn't, it was more of an hydrogenated drag look. And it was, of course, during a sponsored MWR event. So everything was approved and allowed. They even tell you during the, it was a lip sync competition to help us boost morale because we honestly can only, you know, watch Bob Ross every so often, play bingo every Friday. Right. So to help us boost morale, they said, go out there, you know, have an outfit. You want to have a wig, put on some makeup, do some choreography, get a dance. And we said, the better, the, the bigger, the better. And of course, me being a drag queen, I was like, oh, I got this in the bag. <laughs> So after the performance, uh, you know, I did my tricks. Uh, I did everything in the book that I could do, and I got a standing ovation. And so many people truly inspired that. Because for most people, this is their first time ever seeing a drag queen in their life. Because we all come from so many different backgrounds and places. Sure. And what I got from it was was such a powerful, and, and probably one of the best thrills I think I've ever got from uh, audience participation. Isn't that amazing? You know, my ex-boyfriend was in the Navy. We were together from 2008 through 2010 um, before the ban was overturned. It would have been unthinkable to us that the Navy would not only sanction Harpy Daniels, but really embrace her. 
I mean, what a, what a sea change. Yes, absolutely. I, I first want to say, think like I have to thank your your boyfriend at the time and and all those who served before the ban was withdrawn because the struggles was real, yeah. and you know they're the ones who had to you know take the beating and go through the the secrecy and everything. So I have to thank them for honestly starting to pave the road for me to be even be able to do what I did and do what I do now. So I want to give a huge thank you to to the service members that have served and I'm serving with now uh, for that. Um, but I have to say, it, it truly is such a powerful movement for the LGBT, uh, the gay community that we are are in today, especially for the service. Well, we have to thank you for your service as well, and I think also for for being part of the change. I mean, you you are the the you have to be the first open drag queen, you know, the first known drag queen in the U.S. Armed Forces, right? Well, there, uh, I would have to say for how big I've gotten, yes, absolutely. Uh, there's many, many drag queens inside the service. I think just I was at the right place at the right time and just I'm not afraid to be bold and to be brave and to be beautiful. And so I bring that to other people and I got lucky. I got lucky with everything that I've done and uh the other queens out there, I, I've met a few actually because of this. There's there's many other drag queens out there, but I think the difference is is that I did it on an aircraft carrier during deployment to boost morale, um, and I think that's what um, truly stuck with it. So uh, I truly was I'm truly just blessed that have, I was able to do something I love. Have you experienced any homophobia or any backlash from other uh, members of the Navy or or other services? Uh, for my personal experience, no, I have not. And I think uh, what it is, because when people meet me, uh, they, I, their first instincts are like, oh, this is a gay sailor. They know me as, oh, this is Wine to Kelly. You know, he's professional. He's, he's grown. And I'm still myself. I still bring a little definitely gay culture when I when I walk around and do a few things. But I think I um, have my own experience of put myself into the Navy culture and have grown from the Navy culture and adapted to it like a chameleon to the point where that if I do show my other side, it's definitely more acceptable and accepting. But from where I'm, my standpoint, I've never had a bad experience as a gay man in the military. It's just incredible to me. And when I think about my ex, uh, we were in San Diego uh, living there because he was stationed there at the time. And if I put my hand on his shoulder in public, he would flinch. You know, that's how fearful he was of being outed. So it's and that wasn't that long ago. You know, right. it's just amazing to me yeah. that we're even talking to you today. Do you, uh, Harpy, do you have a boyfriend? Uh, no, I'm I'm currently single, but I am talking to a, a certain someone. But uh, mm. currently, I, I would say my status is complicated slash single. <laughs> Come on, certain someone. Now, um, how does that work? Because I know that, um, you know, fraternization is uh, not allowed and, and, you know, dating or getting involved mm -hmm. with one's fellow service members is verboten, right? You're not allowed to do that. Yes. We're, we're not, a we're not allowed to fraternize. We're not allowed to, uh, of course, that is correct to, um, have any form of relationship with someone in the same chain of command as you are or enlisted to officer, officer to enlisted. That is, that is correct. But if they are, let's say an enlisted member who's not in my chain of command, like, I'm uh, with my command. If I decided to date another fellow service member who is from a different command, that's allowed um, if they are enlisted because we don't fall under the same chain of command. So it wouldn't show any, like, favoritism is basically what it comes down to. Nice. So so there is there are opportunities, let's say. Uh, where I'm at, honestly, my pickings are slim. So, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, uh, n no. But on a full scale, yes, there's, there's opportunities. Harpy, will we see you on a future season of RuPaul's Drag Race? If you do, uh, I would definitely say uh, God has answered my prayers. And uh, I will definitely give Adam Sink a huge shout out to that. Uh, I mean, you uh, have a great, <clears throat> you have an amazing storyline already. I mean, uh, you would be the first. Uh, I think there was actually one. She wasn't actually a queen, but uh, she was. Um, she was Alaska's on season five. Alaska had a. They had one of the makeover challenge was to bring in uh, um, army. Oh, oh right, Alaska. to bring in service members. Yeah. 
but you would be the yeah. first you would be the first queen to compete. Um, so was... and and you you're fierce. I mean, yeah. Harpy has an Instagram page where she does these transformations. Oh my god, where obsessed. she goes from Joshua to to Harpy in an in an instant, <laughs> and they're really fucking cool. Thank you, thank you. I pre- I truly appreciate the support. Uh, I have to say. Uh, when it comes down to being a queen, you know, anybody can practice makeup and talent. But I think what the one thing that you can't teach is charisma, you know, to have that fierce, bold, you, you know, it's just the vibe you get out. You know, you've been around people so many times. It's just for some reason there's always that one character who sticks out. And I definitely know from what I've seen and have been through that I definitely know I'm that character. You either got it or you don't. Um, who are you? Yeah, who are some that, of that's your... the best way. Yeah. Who are some of your um, drag inspirations, whether it be uh, RuPaul's Drag Race queens or queens that haven't been on the show? Uh, my biggest one, and it's going to sound cliche, is my drag mother. Mm-hmm. My drag mother, Tequila Daniels. She's uh, Miss Gay PA of 2007. She is uh, the reason why my last name is Daniels, of course. Um, she's been my biggest supporter in drag, as always. I mean, that's what a drag mother's for. Um, she's a showgirl. I think every time I go to a show and they find out I'm Tequila's, well, actually, they already know I'm Tequila's daughter. They'll be like, yep, you guys are definitely mother and daughter because we act very alike. Our, she's a showgirl. She's a pageant queen. And I hold myself to the same standards because I take, uh, she, as the first queen I've ever seen, she's always stuck with me from day one. Well, and as for, I would say, like, Rue itself on the show, I would have to say uh, Alyssa Average is probably one of the fiercest queens I've seen. Oh and uh, her look is strong. But my favorite thing, I think, is just the fact that she says it herself. She's not a seamstress. She, she's not this. She's not a singer. But what she is is a fierce queen. And I totally relate to all of everything that she is. Well, honey, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for talking to us. I know it's like the middle of the night where you are. But you're an inspiration. And we thank you. Uh, for your service, not only to the LGBTQ community, but to our country. Yes. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show, Adam. It's truly a great opportunity, and I thank you for your interest and spreading my story, and I truly hope um, that people are truly inspired, as you say they are, because uh, I think it's a great movement for us to continue moving forward and to breaking the boundaries that we deserve. Absolutely, and it also is a perfect illustration of how drag can build bridges Absolutely. between the gay and straight communities because honestly everybody loves a good drag queen come on oh yes <laughs> we we're fun we're fun we're the life of the party everywhere you go in the gay scene there's always a queen somewhere <laughs> honey thank you so much please keep in touch with us especially after you get so big and famous that everybody wants to book you absolutely i definitely will i definitely will keep you uh, in touch thank right. you so much right. stay safe Yes, bye-bye. So great. Amazing. She's the so greatest. Cool. Yeah. I'm so happy that we got to talk to her. I really feel like if she were to submit a tape, she would definitely make it on Drag Race. For the, for the storyline alone, oh. but also no, she's, she's a, fierce. No, of course. She's an amazing queen, but it really is about your storyline. I mean, that's like a huge factor in you know, getting on the show. Absolutely. Um, JB has stepped out to try to get our next guest on the phone. This is, a, a, as I said, a packed day. Yes, there's a lot going on here. Uh, I can't really do the Pride update without the Pride music. Do you want to just do that, Ryan? Here's our Pride update, everyone. First of all, West Hollywood today is celebrating the nation's first ever bisexual Pride Parade. Come on, bisexuals. The Los Angeles chapter of something called Ambi is taking steps to change, uh, is taking steps uh, for the first citywide bi pride celebration in the country. Uh, As I said, it takes place today, which is the eve of Bi Visibility Day. I see you, bi people. I see you. uh, Which was started in 1999. And um, so if you're in West Hollywood today, go out and cheer the bisexuals. They're marching as we speak. They are here. They are real. They exist. They are. Here to be seen. There's a 50% chance they that they will have sex, sex with you. Thank you. Uh, other places celebrating uh, Pride today, Charleston, South Carolina. Yes. Charleston, I believe, was largely um, spared from the ravages of Hurricane Florence. Yes. Uh, so thank God for that. I, uh, our heart goes out to everybody else in the Carolinas who's struggling today. Absolutely. I doubt you're listening to this podcast if your house is flooded because you've got bigger things but to worry about. But we are here for you, and we wish everybody in Charleston a safe and dry LGBTQ Pride in Queensland, Australia. It is Ooh, Brisbane Pride. 
Good eye. Good eye. Good eye, guys. Bye. In Palermo, Italy, it is Pride. And in Curacao. Do you know where Curacao is? Yeah, I'm going to a wedding there in May. What? Who's yeah. getting married in fucking Curacao? Michael. Michael Gamora. Oh my a god. Former, uh, what a bougie bitch. A former guest. Michael, Elia if you're listening, Martinez. that's a ridiculous destination wedding. You're gonna make people schlep all the way to fucking Curacao I'm for your not wedding. Bitch. Luxury dog. Curacao is in the Southern Caribbean. Um, the Caribbean can be a very homophobic place. Are you kidding me? We can't get our guest on the show. Oh, Why dear. does God hate me today? Why am oh, I being punished, Ryan? All right. So now, um, what do we do? He's just not picking up, JB? I may have left a cute, annoyed phone uh, voicemail, Ooh. so I'm sorry, but... I don't understand what's happening. Hold on. Have you been in contact with... Um, I've guess. been in contact... You know me. I triple confirm everyone. Yeah, he does. You no, guys no, talk I amongst know. yourselves for a second. Okay, oh, we're, dear. Can we talk about this dig down? Now? I, oh, want, yes. I want the details, honey. Because okay. like, my so, sex life is not Here's the thing. This is what I realized last night. I think that I enjoy the most having sex with men between the ages of 50 and 55. Because... That's such a small window. Well, I mean, I love having sex with men of many ages but specifically too late, 50 too late. <laughs> specifically 50 through 55 because i feel like when you get to 50 you've lived a life you've experienced a lot you've done things you know things right. and you don't give a shit right. you know like and adam I, I you can you can relate to this i feel like in your 40s especially as you're getting closer to 50 you're you're still you're so aware of like the fact that you're getting older when you reach 50 you're just like i don't care i'm confident fun i haven't reached 50 yet you're on but your way babe. thank you you shady half for just age shady. shaming me i'm not aging i'm just Once saying again. in general like that's whatever <laughs> but we was, did that segment about how older guys are better to date for a number of reasons yes, yes. and uh yeah it was just like it was so good it was so it's so connected and fun and the dick was right how now was it right because it was big yeah size like, was great you're not giving me uh, much details here, girl. You just tell me it was great. Like, okay, I need full was, details. Like, we met in a rainy night. So and he's, he ate my booty under the moonlight. Like, I need shit like this. Give me details. Okay, well, first of all, I, I, he um, he's a neighborhood uh, daddy, someone that I've kind of been texting with for a while. Yes, and um, is always good. And he has this is not sexual, but he has a dog named Lily, who I am obsessed with. She is so lovely. Um, she's some sort of like. You don't care about this. <laughs> You're like, get to, to the uh, dick. Okay. Nobody cares about the dog. Yeah, girl. The dog was so Get to cute. the dick. So anyway, the dick is probably, I want to say, eight and thick. Yes. And cut mm. and pink. Delicious. And, um, and like, hard. Like, he got hard. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't know if he's on Viagra or what's going on, but, but it, it was, was like, a hard dick. It was a hard That you saw dick. the vein pop Sometimes out it's shit. too hard. I like it when a dick has a little bit a of little give bit, to it. A little bit of spongy. Little little not I don't want to say spongy. But you know how a dildo Yeah, it's a little like is kind funky. of a little it's hard and yet floppy at the same time. That's the perfect uh Yeah. I don't know. When the dick hard is strong, it gets me real excited. Like, ooh, you ready? I'm about to bust it down real good. And the other thing that I will say is that the icing on the cake was that after we fucked, we had pizza. Which I is, thought the icing on the cake was well, his cum all over your back. Yeah. The cum went inside me. I might be pregnant. Yes! Oh, my goodness. But, oh, I can't believe that's you've gone too far. It. Have I? Our show is now going to be banned from oh, iTunes. What you mean? Take Everyone loves a little loads. <laughs> Living my dreams. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. Ryan will not be interviewing for any corporate job in the future. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's out the way. Unless no, you no. apply for corporate slut, then probably. Listen, I would love to tell my uh, future employers about the loads that I've taken and, you know, wow. how it's made me a, a better employee. And, <laughs> and given, and, by the way. Oh, yeah. I should mention Ryan is, uh, is versatile. I'm a, yeah, I am a power verse. So you are a well-rounded individual. Yeah, pretty... I, I just, before I uh, started uh, co-hosting on the Adam Singh show, I was, I was not, I was a former bottom who had lost touch with his bottoming roots. I used to be a huge bottom when I was when I first came like in out. In high school. In like, high school. Like find a huge bottom. I don't know. Like what that taking means. dick, like huge hung cock with no lube at like fourteen. 
What? First yes. of all, even if I was 14, Lou was always a I'm going to pretend that your partners were also 14 because otherwise I don't want to even hear about this. My, my first boyfriend was 16. All right, that's okay. Going on 17. He was 16, going on 17, loading me you up with gum. Oh, we went a different way. <laughs> I like Adam's version. Oh. This is so much more interesting than the guest interview we had lined up. So I'm, thank you for blowing us off, guest, yeah, who's, I'm, who I'm shall remain nameless. Um, okay, let's go on. I do have other stories. Okay. Uh, I was actually worried that we wouldn't get Harpy, who's in fucking Japan, but know, Harpy somehow. is reliable. Harpy came through. Harpy, you came through, girl. Come through, Mama Roo. Come through, Mama. So I want to go to the kinder story, uh, uh, JB, yes. the grinder kinder. Mm-hmm. Because I actually, this jumped out at me because it's something we've talked about a lot on this show. And actually, JB has talked about the racism and um, body shaming that you experience on Grinder, And we've talked about just what a hateful, vile place Grinder and Scruff can be. So now Grindr uh, says that it's taking steps to combat racist and shaming language, and they've launched a new initiative known as Kinder. With no E, of course. Right, spelled like Grinder. Say on brand. Uh, not Kinder like Tinder, Kinder like Grinder. And the first thing they did was they released this video it's a combination of notable people like Jay Rodriguez from the first Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, actor, singer Jay Rodriguez, and also comedian Joel Kim Booster, who's a, a, an Asian guy. And um, I thought it was actually really well done. Here's a little bit of that video. It is not racist to not be attracted to me personally. I mean, it's shocking, quite honestly. But for you to say, like, I know what every Asian guy looks like, and I know for a fact that I would not be attracted to any of them. Like, that comes from a racist place because you don't know what we all look like. That's ugly. When did we get to a place as a marginalized community where we're starting all this infighting with each other? Because where's that gonna get us? We have only so much space, like, in our profiles to, like, get across whatever the fuck we wanna get across to all the other guys on this app, and you're gonna take space to narrow it by what you don't want rather than what you do want. Just tell me what you do like. If you tell me that you like the fucking Jonas Brothers, I'm going to know I'm not for you. (laughs) I mean, I think that's the most important point for me on the video is no one's saying you must fuck Asians or you must fuck. It's not about that. It's about we don't need to know that you you don't like a certain race. There is no way that you're having sex with someone who is Asian or right. any other ethnicity. That's unnecessarily racist. Yes. You, you can simply not respond to someone that you're not interested in. You don't have to tell them why you're not interested. Right. And if you're not interested in them because they're check one, you know, Asian, black, white, fat, thin, whatever it is, then you do have a problem. Yeah. And that's fine, but keep it to yourself. Don't like spread that hate. Is that, could that be our guest by any chance? Okay, well, we have 16 and a half minutes to do this segment. Let's do our best. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's this brand new documentary called Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. It is about a pansexual guy named Scotty who served as a kind of sex matchmaker for some of Hollywood's biggest stars of the 40s and 50s. Here is a clip from the film. It wasn't until I started working my book on Catherine Hepburn, I was talking to some of the other biographers, and they said to me, you know, there's this character out there that you really should try to talk to. And his name is Scotty Bowers. And he had this gas station. And he, you know, he supplied men and women to the various Hollywood stars. He, knew, he knows all about that era. But, you know, you'll never get to talk to him. I began to think that maybe he was an urban legend. <laughs> you know, there was no Scotty Bowers. I created the Rainbow in Hollywood. The Rainbow is a 5777 Hollywood Boulevard called Richfield. And that was a rainbow. For, for, that was the fucking end of the rainbow for a lot of people. I mean, it's hard to believe, unless you were there, how much fun that gas station was. People disappearing up in the trailer and going in the washroom and doing this and that. The whole thing was fun. <laughs> so JB just ran out of the room, <laughs> which yeah, leads me to believe that we do not have Matt Ternauer on the phone. Matt, are you there? Yeah, we lost him somehow. This is uh, a, a complicated and difficult show that we're having Truly. today and none of it is jb's fault i want to make no. that clear i think we're having fun though we're having a great time this is do we have him on the phone okay please welcome to the ass all the way from hollywood the hollywood film's director, film director matt, matt turnauer hello hey maddie can you turn down your uh, volume if you're listening to the show i'm not how do we have an echo jb i'm on a landline 
I was told the landline. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I don't know why. Is, the, is that echo going out to the listeners or just to me? I think I'm having a stroke. All right, Matt. We're going to do this the best we can in the 15 minutes that remain. Tell us how you first became acquainted with Scotty Bowers. I met Scotty Bowers through Gore Vidal, who is the great author and essayist. And um, we were instantly friends, really. I'd heard about him for years through um, kind of like legendary Hollywood people who I was interviewing for um, Vanity Fair magazine. Merv Griffin, for instance, was the first person to tell me about him, but not by name. He told me that there was a uh, gas station on Hollywood Boulevard and that the cars would be lined up around the block. And uh, this gas station clearly was not just selling gas. And uh, I just made a note to myself that this would be something really interesting to pursue and then uh, one day I'm with Vidal, and he says to me, I want to find my pimp. And I <laughs> said, well, who is that? And he said, his name is Scotty, and he had a gas station. So I put it all together at that moment. And uh, he did indeed, uh, Gore did indeed uh, reunite with Scotty Bowers, and uh, he had written a memoir at that time, which Vidal helped him then get published. And... Uh, I read the manuscript and said, well, this is a great possibility for a movie. And Scotty and I kind of started on this adventure right then. Gore Vidal described him as a pimp, but that's not quite accurate. How would you describe Scotty's occupation? Uh, Scotty is a, you know, people use euphemisms. A matchmaker um, is one that's frequently used. Um, Pimp, I think, uh, has, first of all, negative connotations, and Scotty is the least sinister person I've ever met. Uh, I think that he is not a pimp in the sense that he doesn't take a cut of uh, people's fees, which is the traditional pimp business model. Uh, He says he never took a dime from anyone, which makes people insane when he says that because they they don't believe it. But uh, I've had that confirmed by many people who worked with him back in the day. Um, They all say, no, you never took a time of my money. And then they say, well, how did you support yourself? And then he says, well, I was tricking myself and I was busy all the time doing other things. And and indeed he was. He was tree trimming. He was like fixing the plumbing. He was laying concrete sidewalks. He He was a worker. And then later on, um, he became a bartender after he um, stopped working at the legendary gas station in about the mid-50s. So that's how I would describe him. The book, Full Service, the memoir that you mentioned, and the fil- your film make some really shocking claims about Hollywood royalty. And there's so many that we could talk about, and I know you probably don't want to spill um, you know, spill the beans before people have seen the film. But can you talk a little bit about Scotty's relationship with Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy? Yeah, well, um, you know, not only was Scotty running this gas station in Hollywood, uh, which was a drive through brothel, basically. She invents the concept of the drive through brothel uh, in 1945, right after the war. Just a little more backstory. He was a Marine who had been in the Pacific. He was from a farm in Illinois. Typical all-American story of that generation. And then he comes and um, opens this uh, drive through brothel at the Richfield Station on Hollywood and Venice. But it not only was it kind of like a place of uh, uh, kind of freewheeling sex and sexuality in that period, uh, it was also the biggest names in Hollywood were um, hanging out there, basically. Uh, so it was people like um, Cary Grant, Randolph Scott, and yes, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, who uh, were major clients of Scotty Bowers. And he met them through George Cukor, who um, was the greatest, director. the greatest of the, uh, well, they called them the women's pictures, yes. uh, which is to really not fair to Cukor. He was you know, top-ranking director in Hollywood of that day. His specialty was what was known as the woman's picture. Most famously, maybe, is uh, a a movie called The Women, uh, which was an adaptation of Claire Bluth Loose Play. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
through Cukor, who was a major uh, kind of uh, patron of the gas station, not just for gas. He meets uh, Hepburn and Tracy, who were very close to Cukor, and in fact lived uh, from time to time in the guest houses on Cukor's property. So Scotty's frequently over at Cukor's house, not just doing tricks, not just kind of hanging out at the legendary Sunday pool parties, all-male pool parties, but uh, Hepburn and Tracy are there, and he says that uh, Hepburn asked Cukor to um, tell Scotty that she'd like to meet women through him, which was not a problem, and it happened. And then uh, Tracy, who lived in uh, a guest house on the property uh, and had a drinking problem, would frequently uh, spend time with Scotty, and then they would, uh, quote-unquote, fall into bed together. Uh, This is sort of shocking to the Hollywood biography establishment because uh, it's not the standard narrative. uh, Right, we'd always heard about this legendary romance between Spencer and Tracy, and your film makes the point that that it was fabricated. Yeah, I would call it, in a way, a counter-narrative, which Scotty provides. And it's not that he's someone who heard this from someone. He was the person who was kind of literally in bed with the people. Uh, And that's a big difference. Uh, There are corroborators to the Tracy story, and they were the two male secretaries and close friends of Cukor and also Scotty uh, Bowers. And uh, Tucker Fleming uh, was the was the principal person. Uh, they were two guys. They were nicknamed uh, Chuck and Tuck. I think it was Charles. I'm actually blanking on Charles's last name right now. And Tucker Fleming was the other one. And from the film, it sounded to me like Rock Hudson kind of started out as a hustler and then became an actor through his hustling connections. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. Yeah, so Scotty tells the story of the time when uh, Hudson uh, was in his, I believe, early 20s and was uh, working as a truck driver not yet an actor much less a movie star and uh, Scotty knew him he was very you know very much living as a gay man with a boyfriend Uh, and uh, they would come into the gas station and Scotty says that he introduced him to Cary Grant and there was a, a trick an assignation for money $20 which was the going rate. And uh, I thought that was really significant because Cary Grant's the number one star of his generation, Rock Hudson's the number one male star of his generation. So they meet through Scotty and they meet in this uh, unexpected way that's certainly not what the Hollywood publicity system at that time uh, would ever want you to know. It's really amazing. And I think when I saw the screening a few weeks ago uh, at, at which you and Scotty were in attendance, I think the biggest gasp from the audience was when it was revealed that Cole Porter, tell me if I get this right, Cole Porter would ask 15 guys to come over and he wanted to suck them each off one after the other. Well, that's the standard Scotty narrative. I mean, if you've read the book, um, that's in that book and he tells that story. Uh, I think, you know, um, this was what Cole Porter liked to do, um, and people have trouble believing that for some reason. I, for me, that doesn't really stretch credulity because Cole Porter was um, known to be – there are whole biographies of Cole Porter that detail his voracious sexual appetite. He was married to a woman, uh, was very much known to be a marriage of convenience, and um, if, you know, he liked Marines – says Scotty. Who doesn't? Scotty, Scotty had a lot of Marines uh, available. Uh, and this is an interesting kind of like flashpoint for people that challenge the uh, veracity of Scotty Bowers. They say, well, Cole Porter was such an erudite, sophisticated, elegant man. Why would he want a Marine who worked at a, a, a garage around? This is frequently said. I, <laughs> I just... That, for me, just shows how blind people are to reality. For me, if you're Cole Porter... You don't want to hang out with Moss, ha- Moss Hart and George S. Kaufman and Robert Benchley, all these witty people who are going to tire you out every minute and have like shimmering cocktail party conversation. No, you want 
a handsome Marine who's going to bring more handsome Marines over while your wife's out of town, and you probably want to have a good time doing whatever you want to do. And the handsome Marine will also trim the trees, fix the broken light in the closet, and, you know, go shopping for you. Uh, Sounds good to me. me. Exactly the type of person Cole Porter would want around. Well, speaking of being married to women, Scotty has had not one but two long-term marriages to women. Um, And yet, throughout the film... He strikes me as someone who leans more toward gay than straight. Why do you think Scotty chose to spend his life married to women? Uh, I think he's almost unclassifiable. I think he says himself, I'm everything, and that also drives people insane. It's like, well, what do you mean you're everything? (laughs) He says, I'm everything. So I think another term for that might be pansexual, and that you know, people don't even believe in bisexuality. There's a lot of kind of discussion about, well, this bisexuality exists. I don't know. I'm not, I am not to say. Uh, but if you want to say that Scotty is more heterosexual, having observed him for a long time and interviewed him over the course of a couple of years, I'm not so sure that's, that's true that he's more homosexual. I think that he's probably a little more heterosexual, but truly pansexual, and that he is a people pleaser he certainly is polyamorous. He's the opposite of monogamous. And if it's men or women, I think that it, it almost didn't matter to him. However, he is unconventional in his sexual proclivities and, and voraciousness. Uh, he was, um, when he was active as a male prostitute, I think that he needed a woman to kind of anchor his existence and I don't I can't really tell you why that is but it seems so because he had two marriages and um, he also at the time he was married to the women he was you know had many other girlfriends and he had many other gentlemen clients so this is not something that's normal I don't think I don't think it's I'd say it's not normal in the sense I don't think it's abnormal in the pejorative but i think that he was a prime subject for dr kinsey because he is so unusual and was so highly capable as a uh, as gore vidal might say sexualist and as the film uh, illustrates he actually knew dr kinsey and was part of his studies matt you've been a journalist covering hollywood for years do you still see the industry as a giant closet for lgbtq people uh, I never, I don't personally see it that way, but I don't think that, I think that would be a very interesting debate to have. Um, and I think you could really learn a lot by having people discuss that as a kind of debate topic. Uh, it's, I don't think it's that clear cut. I, I think that, you know, just like in society at large, a lot of things are a lot better. Um, I think I, one of the reasons I made the movie and wanted to make the movie was to show that things used to be different and that we need to know how they were. And Scotty is a living a testimonial to the, the hard times uh, for gay and lesbian people, particularly in Hollywood, because it's such a high-profile community uh, of that period. So um, the industry is more accepting. The world at large is more accepting. Um, however, yes, there's still... Um, people who are not out and um, the industry doesn't fully accept it but it's very subtle I think this would be the subject of an entire show sure. probably not just a segment we're, we're almost out of time Matt but I gotta ask you Scotty is now 95 at the screening I was at he seemed a lot more fragile than he appears in the film how is his health these days uh, he's doing pretty well actually he broke his hip um, more than a year ago and had a hip replacement with no complications at, at 94, I believe, and that was amazing. Uh, and he's trying to get back up on his feet again, um, and he's, he's a trooper. So uh, he's, he's sharp as a tack. Uh, I think the hip, hip, the hip might be giving out, but the mind is all still there, and uh, he's loving the fact that he 
has been on the road with the film, in fact. Well, uh, please give him our best. Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood is now playing in theaters across the country. Matt Turnauer, thank you so much for being our guest today. I apologize for any uh, technical difficulties. This has been a bit of a messy show, but we have done our best. Uh, next week, Ryan and I and JB will be back for a brand new episode at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Our guest is Broadway performer and all-around entertainer Marty Thomas. Subscribe to Derek and Romaine at DerekandRomaine.com. Don't forget to follow me, me, on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Sank. Email me at Adam at AdamSank.com. And have a fabulous week, bitches. <laughs>